it was a progression from you know Tylenol three to Percocet and hydromorphone and uh, just everything Vicodin, Oxycontin, eventually Methadone, and um, I tried to to get off, break the cycle. I never could. I asked them to give me a medical detox, and they said I was too old. I should just give in because I was going to be on the stuff the rest of my life. In tonight's episode, I'm joined by someone who reached out to my page on Facebook. His name is Walker Greer, and his story is one that touches home for me. Being an adventurous youth, he had had many injuries growing up. Then a severe bout with hepatitis C and that treatment made all of his old injuries more prevalent and exacerbated any pain issues he was already having from them. This brought Walker to the world of pain management and eventually severe addiction. Walker reached out because he wanted to share his story so others that may be in a similar situation as he found himself in can know that there is an alternative. He tells his story how cannabis is literally saving his life. Let's meet Walker and hear him tell his story. Bear with us as at times you can tell this is a hard story for Walker to tell. Hello, Walker, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, your background, what do you do for a living, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Um, I've been, uh, went on disability 18 years ago from treatment from uh, hepatitis C. I was used as a guinea pig, and uh, I wasn't sick from the hep C, but I was sick from the big pharma's solution to it at the time. 18 years I've been on painkillers. Actually, I've been on painkillers for five decades. Mm. And, uh, one day they just threw me off. What uh, uh, what all what all were you, were you on painkillers for? I've had uh, broken both my feet, uh, arms, hands, sternum, coccyx, uh, vertebrae eye sockets, orbital sockets. Uh, I've had a lot of torso hyperflex injuries. Okay. And the interferon treatment they tried to cure me with from hep C has gave me severe neuropathy mm -hmm. and exacerbated any pre-existing conditions that may have came out later on as I got older that brought them up, brought them out sooner. Okay. What uh, what is it that you you before you became disabled? What did you do for a living? Well, for 17 years, I owned a hair salon and a dog kennel. And for close to 17 years prior to that, I was in IT okay. for some world headquarters, uh, Mastercard, Holiday Inn. I worked in a savings and loan when they became insolvent, and that's when I quit working for someone for a living. That was in '89. Okay, so you've you've uh, you were basically self-employed there for a while. Yeah. What what brought you uh, into this this 
trial program for the hep C. Well, I didn't even know I had hep C. They found it in a routine blood test and within a year had me convinced I was going to die if I didn't address it. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to treat me with interferon injections and some pill. I don't even remember what it was, but for one year I injected myself in the stomach and in the leg with interferon. Okay. Lost 30 pounds, lost muscle tone, lost hair, became <clears throat> the shell of what I was and it didn't cure me. And I wound up going on disability because I couldn't even, couldn't even set up, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what started causing all the, the broken bones and everything? Was it from the treatment or? As, as a kid, I surfed and skydived and okay. rode, uh, dirt bikes. And, you know, you can imagine. You were a bit of a daredevil, in other words. <laughs> I had a, a big a, adrenaline thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got some brothers that still do that. I've got one brother. Uh, he's actually seven years older than I am. And. Uh, he still does the jet boat thing and uh, he spent like shoot i want to say better than fifteen thousand dollars on the last engine that he built for this this boat of his and uh he called me up here it wasn't probably two or three weeks ago and he's telling me about something else that he's put on it that gave it another two or three miles an hour on the water you know at top end and i'm like cool yes <laughs> And the end of the conversation was, so when you coming for a boat ride, I said, probably not ever. <laughs> I get it. He says, I, I, I don't understand. Why not? I said, man, uh, I just don't give a damn about going fast anymore and damn sure not on the water. <laughs> I agree 100%. All I have now to play around with is an electric bike. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So all these years of injuries and everything else have mounted to where, what, what caused you to be addicted or, or not addicted, but forced onto the, to the pain pill regimen? Well, probably at the age of 14 or 15, I was experimenting with drugs like was rampant in South Texas. Sure. Right, right near the border. It was just, it's all over the place, you know? And uh, I probably did everything. And um, I tried heroin one time mm -hmm. and I never forgot it. And when I hurt myself and got a pain pill, I remembered that feeling. So you made immediately, connection. yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I never, never, ever gave it up. Um, I started getting my drugs, let's say, from, from the doctors instead of from nefarious activities. Sure. Uh, Back then, there were no pain clinics. They just looked at your medical records, and that would suffice. Mm -hmm. Pain clinics came along. All the doctors that I was seeing that were prescribing made me, you know, go over to the pain clinics. And yeah. I was more than obliged. Sure. But, uh, it was a progression from, you know, Tylenol-3 to Percocet and Hydromorphone and uh, just everything. Vicodin, Oxycontin eventually methadone and um, I tried to, to get off break the cycle I never could I asked them to give me a medical detox and they said I was too old I should just give in because I was going to well, be on the stuff the rest of my life too old for a medical detox I don't, I don't yeah. understand that what age were you when they told you you were too old for a medical detox 
2058. That's just, that blows my freaking mind. Yeah, I uh, wanted to be put under by an anesthesiologist and, you know, there's a protocol they go through to get you sure, through the I've, mm-hmm, I've read, read about it. Yeah. Um, so you just got from from very young age you got into yep. a cycle basically of of the pain meds and which i can i can relate to you know you talk about young trying everything i got i got into the the free basin cocaine real big when i was a kid you know yeah uh, but, kind of did never sat well with me because i was kind of a anxiety i had a lot of anxiety as a kid my dad was an alcoholic he was a yeah. high earning alcoholic a brilliant man but still an alcoholic you know yeah well it, it was it was a fluke deal for me um i just happened to be in the right place at the right time oh, yeah. where where i worked um i got in with this engineer i worked in an aluminum mag wheel plant uh that was actually owned by carol shelby family uh i don't know if you know who who he is the carol shelby oh. mustangs and all <laughs> at any rate he uh this engineer invited me to a party and the rest is history, right? Oh, yeah. So, so that went on for about a year and a half. And when I, you know, I gave it up, I learned a lot about addiction through that process, you know. And uh, later on, uh, I developed cervical spine issues, you know, after 20 years of, of lifting and hanging sheetrock for a living yeah. and uh, got on the pain pill regimen myself because I didn't have health insurance being a construction worker. So, I uh, literally, I could afford to go to the doctor, pay pay for a visit and say, hey, you know, I'm in pain. They write me a prescription and they'd write three or four refills, you know, so I'd be good for four or five months, right? Because they knew I didn't have insurance. They knew, I mean, I did MRIs. I found out what the problems were, but I didn't have the money to go have major spine surgery at the time. So I just dealt with it and lived with it. And how'd you live with it? By taking pain pills and try to manage it, right? And I, so I can totally relate to that. I avoided surgery many, many times. Uh, I never did have surgery on my neck, on the cervical part of my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a brother that's younger than me that did go that route, and every 10 years he has to have another operation yeah, for the last I... 50 years. And he's still on painkillers now, only they convinced him Suboxin was the answer and they twisted my arm to try to get me to do that. And that's what eventually sent me packing. So you say they at one point just decided to cut you off. What do you mean they cut you off? I came back from Colorado when they legalized pot out there. I had not been smoking pot for a few years, but I thought, wow, it's illegal. I want to go out there and walk into a store where I don't have to be worried about getting busted. Sure. Why not? I want to experience it legally. So I went out there and I got some, I got high out there and I came back and my pain doctor for the first time in eight years wants a blood te- urine test. So I was hot and he, he just sent me packing that day. Yeah. I had nowhere to go. So I went to a methadone clinic in East St. Louis for eight months, t- 10 months, which was 120 mile an hour. 120 mile round trip every day Mm. eventually i found another pain doctor and told him what i had done i just leveled with him and he took me on and he says to me the first day i'm I'm gonna 
take you on, but if you ever fight me over one time, you're gone. And I'm like, oh, you're over. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big deal nowadays with pain doctors. That they're, they're they could lose their license if if they have anybody who's doing anything illicit at all while they're under their care. And it only takes one time, the one time of somebody getting caught under their care, you know, and it could screw their whole livelihood up. I get why they're that way, but it's kind of I don't well, doesn't mean I don't think it's bullshit. Let me tell you this: <clears throat> the last pain doctor that I was with allowed me. To, to provide hot urine tests for five years <laughs> still prescribe methadone because he saw I was sincere about wanting to stop and I was always in front of him with how much I would cut back and I was always sick and he was like I I, I feel for it because I always told him the truth yeah and uh, he kept writing me prescriptions even though I was giving him hot tests but this is this he, is what you're describing now is when you, after you found you, your research on RSO and, and did a little learning there and decided you wanted to get off the methadone, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And he was impressed and uh, we had lots of long conversations. I think he learned a lot from me about cannabinoids and endocannabinoid system and terpenes. Just, I mean, he was really fascinated with a lot of it and he, was a friend and he really did me good and uh but he finally retired mm -hmm. but i had always had so much trouble with prescriptions and pharmacists and <clears throat> that i'd started saving pills probably 10 years prior to that and i'd saved up a thousand pills and when he finally retired over a year ago i continued to titrate myself on these pills that I had saved. Okay. I'm down to five milligrams a day now, and I have enough to take my time and cut down slowly and complete this. I've been doing it for five years now. So you're down to five milligrams of methadone, right? A day, yeah. From, a day. From one, yeah, from 120. Okay. And for the past five years, I have been mostly sick. Most, mostly in a state of withdrawal to some degree, mm -hmm. constantly, including right now, because I just went down to five from seven and a half a week ago. So my emotions are running high, um, sweat a little bit, a little shakes, just sure. uncomfortable. Uh, and and you've done this using RSO or full yeah. full extract <laughs> cannabis oil. All forms of cannabis, actually, but the FICO, the full extract cannabis oil, is what I discovered I could knock myself out with and it not be addicted. And mm -hmm. everything else that they wanted to give me to do that, Valium and the other stuff I don't even remember, was all just as addictive, sure. some worse. So mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. So I. Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey y'all. Are you enjoying the guests and subjects Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know Gramps does this all on his own? No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Please consider making a monthly contribution to help Gramps continue to do what he does in an effort to educate, agitate, and motivate millions to get involved. It is as easy as clicking on the link in the show description that says, support this podcast.
it can be as little as 99 cents per month. As always, Gramps thanks you for listening and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest. I've I've never understood the 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 thought process. I've had a lot of friends, you know, coming up in the in the eighties and nineties. Uh crystal meth was the big thing. Yeah. You know, I never got involved with it, but I, I got I can't I can't count on my hands and toes, on my fingers and toes the number of people that I've probably lost to that stuff. And yeah. I never understood how giving somebody another drug in place of the drug you're trying to get them off of something that's just as addictive, yeah. you know, I, I don't understand how that helps. It never did make any sense to me. And they do that with methadone for a lot of things. I know, you know, me, it's and, this, just, me and this last pain doctor, we had lots of heart to heart conversations in his office after hours. And uh, I really liked the man. He was, he was a human being about it. Yeah. And well, he, he was interested. Uh, and that, that's what it takes. You know, so many of them, it's just, you're a number. You're here for 15 minutes in and out. Here's your prescription going down the road. Come back 10 days. Tell me if it helped. The guy of. that I just told you about that, that cut me loose when I came back from Colorado, I hadn't used pot for like three weeks when he tested me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even... It wasn't even high. I hadn't been high for three weeks, and but I still had it in my system. And he just—he didn't give me a chance or nothing. He just sent me packing, you know. Yeah. So you say you used the RSO plus other all forms. So so your main thing was the RSO. Yeah, I refer to it, it as FICO. Yeah, full extract cannabis oil. Um, only, but only because it's extracted with you know alcohol, which is for human consumption, where as RSO is uses isopropyl alcohol which is not yeah. um but you say you what so what if you would smoke if you need a little little ease to ease attention or, or or tell tell me other ways that you were using it well i had this little medicine chest there's a bottle of tequila a bottle of valium some fico and some vape pens just uh, cbd oil mixed with cbn and cbg i had this whole array of stuff not wanting to use anything long enough to get used to it, especially the Valium. Um, and I really don't like alcohol. So when I would just be beside myself with anxiety and uh, I'd take a big dose of that and sleep for 10 hours. And the residuals would carry me on for another 10 hours, you know, yeah. before I, I would start feeling the withdrawals that I was going through. And uh, I learned that for me, I have to go so ridiculously slow at this. And many times I went too fast and wound up uh, just an absolute, complete emotional wreck. I, I, I One year I cried, I think it was 2019, I cried every day. I could see a puppy or a bird, you know, break its wing and I would just break down in public. Um, I think I got off topic there. 
I don't, I don't smoke very much weed. Mostly I take oral consumption. Okay. But I do occasionally. You know, there, there's uh, the last person I was talking to. Um, I don't know if you listened to that last episode or not. Um, but she's a traumatic brain injury survivor. And, um, that was her thing. She didn't want to smoke, you know, right. and uh, because she just she's a, a, a nurse by trade, number one. Right. So like she told me in the episode, she said I was the kind of person that would say, you tell me you're giving cannabis to your kid. I'm calling CPS, you know, and then now I'm over here looking at, at trying to figure out how I can maybe use it as a medicine for me. You know, and she, but she tried all the edibles and stuff, and they didn't really help her. And the only thing that does help her is inhaling, you know, which could be vape or smoke, either one. But uh, mm -hmm. it's, you know, and it's different for everybody. So you've you got to yeah. kind of figure out what works for you from what oh, yeah. everybody tells me. Yeah, because when I first started the concentrated THC, I, look, I didn't really like it, man. I, I got so anxious that... Um, I started had, having to investigate ways to cut that high fast. And the best way I found was real, real high concentrated CBD under the tongue. Mm -hmm. Just kind of stops it, tamps it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's been years of learning about it and experimenting and making lots of mistakes and feeling really crappy because of it and then stumbling upon something that works and uh eventually i'm here you know yeah well i mean to be to be at five milligrams of methadone from 100 and would you say 120 uh -huh. a day uh that's that's what i would call on the right track for sure, sure. Yeah. I've got people that if I complete this successfully, you know, they want me to speak and uh, tell my story. And so I, I do, I'm really pretty highly motivated to complete it. But I tell you, at 70 years of age, it's absolutely ringing me out, you know. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be doing it. I, I shouldn't have to be getting off of it. And they told me I never would be off of it and had convinced me to just go with the flow. And then yeah. literally it was just all over. You know, that's what they do uh, with so many pain, chronic pain patients. They just they tell them that's it. You know, this is it. Just just face it. This is going to be life from here on out. And yeah. so many that I know there's there's actually a, a pain doctor in Austin, Texas here uh, that that I've become acquainted with through my advocacy in Austin that um, he has a clinic there in Austin and he, he testifies every time we have a bill before, you know, the house or the Senate and tells him point blank, this is real medicine. Yeah. This is not a joke. This, and this is natural and it's, it doesn't have the side effects, the adverse effects that right. these other chemicals, synthetic things, you know, do have. Well, I agree there are some things that that are necessary in, in medicine. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a little pill I take every day for my heart rate and blood pressure. If I don't take that pill, I have serious issues. And cannabis, you know, works for blood pressure and heart rate for a lot of people. It doesn't for me. Yeah. It, it has no effect. 
<clears throat> so I still have to take that one little pill every day, and I go to the doctor every six months to get my blood checked to make sure that it isn't screwing anything up, you know. But uh, when before I started using cannabis again, uh, shit, I was on 12 pills a day, <laughs> you know. That's a pretty routine story now, you know. Mm-hmm. People are discovering that leave that stuff behind. And it's you know, not very popular with the um, status quo medical. No, no. It's getting more, though. Uh, sure. That, that they're, it's becoming undeniable is why. Yeah, they cannot. You know, it's just there's too much. Not only is there too much anecdotal evidence like yourself and myself, there's too much actual scientific in vitro science out there. That's preclinical. We're ready to move on. Let's quit calling it anecdotal evidence and move on. Correct. Uh, and they use it in Israel. They used cannabis in the hospitals. Yeah. And we we paid for this uh, research, but we don't pay attention to it. No. Well, we've even uh, in our own country, you know, in the '70s, funded all kinds of research. Yeah. But it was research that was funded geared toward finding a negative result right when it didn't find negative results and actually was finding positive results they said cut that off we got to stop this bury that underneath somebody's desk and forget about it (laughs) only problem is is they didn't bury it deep enough we found it (laughs) everything surfaces it might not even be in our lifetime but everything surfaces absolutely absolutely so uh what is your prediction for an end to this uh, task at hand that you are working through? I'm, look, I'm looking at being completely off of it in five to six months. Cool. So I can really only do about a milligram a month without losing my, just losing myself, you know. Yeah. And pe- people wonder how I do that with 10 milligram pills. Well, I do it by crunching them up into powder, weighing them out on a scale. There's a method to the madness. I mean, I'm my own compound pharmacist, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you get to where you're at zero milligrams, yep. what do you think your maintenance dose is going to be? Just when you need it kind of thing? I have no idea. You and know, I'm not speaking maintenance dose of methadone. I'm speaking maintenance dose of cannabis. I have no idea. I have not been drug free since I was a kid. So as I remove the drugs from my body, you know, everything is failing on me. Vision, uh, hearing, um, my emotions. Um, I don't know what state I'll be in once I get completely off of it. And I don't know what I'm going to require to stay level headed. If I continue to need weed, fine. Yeah. Got no problem with that, you know. I mean, I just go back to what I used to do before I was, you know, just carry around a little dugout with a little bat in it. Sure. And and the reason I ask that is is just simply because the next question would be, isn't that a much more acceptable, logical maintenance type of thing to say, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life rather than something that's friggin' poison. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's definitely something to hold your chin up and be proud of, in my opinion, what you've done uh, so far. And 
I am, and I thank you very much for, I always like to hear that. Well, I appreciate you reaching out and wanting to tell your story. Um, you know, this is the kind of stories that I like to hear, you know, people using cannabis in a positive way uh, and not just, you know, so, so many people have the misnomer and the misconception that people that are for legalization simply want to get high. They simply want to smoke dope, you know, yeah. and that's not what it's about. Uh, the The vast majority that's not what it's about at all. Now, you've got those people out there. Don't get me wrong, you know, but uh, having people to have the willingness to come forward and tell their stories, uh, it's important, and, and we appreciate it. We really do. Well, I hope I, I, hope I made sense because, like, it's only 7.30 here, but I, I wake up at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. I only sleep about four hours a night, so I've been up a long time, and I hope I did you justice here. Gramps Place, where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.